Welcome to Rock Solid Ministries Frontline Servants Program, where we visit with men and women on the front lines of kingdom service. For more information about our free revival ministry or to explore more of our audio and video recordings, visit our website at rocksolidministries.org. Again, rocksolidministries.org. Our guest today is Michael Grigsby, preacher at Canton Christian Church in Canton, Oklahoma. Well, Michael, I don't have a long intro for you today <laughs> to recount our friendship, which began many years ago, because I just met you th- about three days ago when Beth and I arrived in Canton to set up for our fifth revival with this congregation, but our first with you. I'm looking forward to getting to know you better. So, Brother Michael, tell us your story. All right, so um, I have a very unique kind of, I guess it's not really a unique background, Um in, in the church. I didn't grow up in the church at all. Uh, my parents, we weren't even Christmas and Easter people. We wow. Just, the only time you went to church was for a funeral or a wedding. And I'd never really given it any thought to it. Would always call myself, as many people do here in the United States, a Christian. Because, well, I'm an American. And you went to church for funerals and weddings. Yeah, so uh, obviously. <laughs> sure. I was a Christian. And, um, you know, I never really, like I said, gave church really any credence outside of it's just a building where people get together to be told what to do and what not to do. And then my wife nagged me enough to go to church (laughs) with her one day. So was she going regularly? She had been uh, attending church regularly for a while. She really started to attend church during my first uh, deployment overseas. Um, she needed something. She was, you know, still in Texas, but still 12 hours away from her her family. So she was all alone. And my commander's wife invited her to church. And that was, wasn't the beginning of her church journey, but uh, really the start of her growth in, into her own faith. And mm-hmm. she continued on and off for years. And then, I don't know, six months to a year before she got me to go, she'd been attending a church uh, pretty regularly. <clears throat> Uh, and so she nagged me enough, and I said, okay, I'll go this one time, but don't ever ask me again. <laughs> and I tried to set the church up for failure. I did my very best to prove my point. Uh, church people were just a bunch of hypocrites and didn't care about outsiders. And stayed out the night before, hanging out with friends, and, and we, I said, you know what, we're going to go. We're going to go to the early service. And I went shorts, flip-flops, and a T-shirt. Because I knew those old Christians were just going to hate on me for doing that. And uh, <laughs> they didn't. It was the complete <laughs> opposite. They loved me um, in my mess. Uh, you know, I, I think they had an idea that I was trying to poke the bear. and uh, But it was a very welcoming experience. And I love it. But people say, well, what happened? Well, here I am today. Uh, right. I'm a preacher. And I've been in ministry for going on almost 10 years now, all because my wife nagged me enough <laughs> to go to church. So, one time. One time. Okay. Said, I'll go this one time. Don't ever ask so me So did you go back the next week or, or did you wait a while? I went back the very next week uh-huh. because the preacher that morning um, is now a friend and mentor of mine and has been since the very beginning, preached in white shoes, black pants. He had a white belt, black long sleeve shirt. 
had the sleeves rolled up, and he has tattoos on both arms, had a white tie, and had gone through this mountain man phase for about a year, and didn't get a haircut or trim his beard. So he just looked shaggy. And he had this message about um, how God judges the inside of uh, man versus the outside, where the world judges our outside, you know. And he made this comment at the end that I thought was just the funniest thing. He said, now, remember you're in church, so you can't lie. Who thought, oh no, Johnny Cash, Jesus is on stage today. (laughs) And um, I I remember the experience being more of him talking to me and sharing things and teaching more than talking at me, which was not what I thought church was at all. I remember that feeling. Then afterwards, I did my very best to sneak through 800 people to get out the door. And I didn't make it to the nearest door before <laughs> Trevor stopped me and said, Hey, I, I, I haven't seen you here before. And I said, Well, that's because I've never been here before. <clears throat> and we chatted for a little bit. And he said, Man, I'd love to get your phone number and take you to lunch sometime this week. Because you have a story and I'm dying to hear it. Whatever. So I gave him my phone number. He called me on a Tuesday or Wednesday said, hey, let's do lunch. My treat, anywhere you want to go. I told him, I said, well, all right, you pick the time and place and I'll meet you there. And we sat down and just in conversation and I was comfortable with him and I opened up a little bit about my history and how I didn't really care to go to church, but it was a really good experience. And he just invited me back. He said, why don't you give us another chance? I said, well, I get it. That's fine. It's just an hour. I can yeah. sacrifice an hour. I went back, and I loved it a little more. And next thing I know, I was every Sunday I was going. And before I knew it, I was having that conversation with uh, Trevor and one of the other executive uh, ministers on staff. And I was getting baptized. And and they didn't give me any time to breathe. As soon as I was baptized, they said, "Hey, you've got a servant's heart. Let's put you. Let's put you to work." Wow, and that's a way to do it, though. It is. Yeah. That's before you find out that you don't that you have a choice. You know. <laughs> right. And I'll never forget it. the uh, The youth minister uh, dealing with children's church at the time said, "Hey, I really need a couple to help serve the kids." We could do that. So they stuck us with second graders. <laughs> and I figured out pretty quick, if you can make it through second grade for a whole year, there is nothing you can do. You can't do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because they will push you to, I learned so much and I grew so much in my faith with those second graders because kids have the ability to see through all of the screen that we put up, the Sunday morning mask. Right. And they ask direct questions. And so I had to grow in my knowledge in order to, to answer second graders' questions. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And, you know, I absolutely uh, just dove head first into serving. Wow, what, that's a great story. <laughs> wow. The Lord knew what he was doing when he, uh, when he put your wife in your life, didn't he? <laughs> for 19 years and been together for about 21. All right. All right. High school sweethearts. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So where'd you go from there? 
You, you, the um, second graders didn't didn't destroy you. No, they didn't. They didn't run me off. I moved from second graders up to preteens, which is a whole another level of insanity. And, and you know, I'm I've never felt very comfortable with either one, but I think I'd rather be with second graders than preteens. You yes. know, on those, that tween age <laughs> there. Was, yeah, it was difficult. Fifth and sixth graders, and at that particular church on a Wednesday night, we could have anywhere between 120 to 150. Wow. Fifth and sixth graders, they, they, and that's not counting anybody else. And, and so I dove in, and I was digging in with that, and um, through the process, you know, some work things had happened. Uh, I was working for a company where 90% of all of our jobs were through the Texas Department of Transportation. Well, when the big recession hit, TechStop pulled a lot of their money out of the field. So we lost uh, a lot of our work, and... Myself being one of the senior field hands and project manager, I was one of the first ones laid off. Mm. And this is happening right before Christmas was coming that year and all these other things. And I had that that moment with God that said, you know, God, if you're real, you better do something. Because otherwise I'm done with this nonsense. Um I've been faithful, I've been going to church, we've been giving money, we've been doing all these other things, I've been doing everything that so far I, I've been told in the Bible I'm supposed to do, and here you go, you're going to yank our, my security out from underneath me to the point where our older daughters, we would feed them like ramen, or uh, like hamburger helper, enough that they could eat, and we would eat a little bit with them, but then Jamie and I would have to eat ramen noodles after the kids went to bed, because we couldn't afford anything else. Serving God doing what he asked you to do, and tragedy strikes anyway. We were just talking about that this week. We, yeah. we have been, and, I mean, it absolutely rocks me to my core. And not two or three days after that shake my fists at the heavens moment, we had a family in, in our church came in, and a very well-off family, and their daughter's birthday is within a week of Christmas. And this is what the family told us, and we heard from the, the staff as well. They went in, and she told her parents, instead of birthday gifts and Christmas gifts this year, I want you to take the money that you're going to spend on that for me. Let's donate it. Let's let's gift it to a family that's in need. Well, of course, they were over the moon with their daughter's decision because she was about 12 at the time. Right. They came to the leadership of the church and said, "Hey, we, my daughter wants to give this special gift to a family in need. Do you know of anybody?" And of course, my pride would not allow me to share any of my struggles with anybody. But luckily, my wife is not as hard-headed as I am, <laughs> uh, and she had kind of given some information up to um, the youth minister we had been working with, and he, of course, had talked with the senior and the executive guys and. And as soon as this family came in, they all they all smiled and said at the same time said, We know the we know the perfect family. But we want you to go and gift this to them. We don't want it to come from us. And they shared a little bit of my story and he's he's new to his faith and he's really struggling right now. But he's being faithful and he's still serving, he's still coming to church even though he's really struggling. And this is exactly what he needs. And so they did. They showed up unannounced, knocked on the door, introduced themselves, told us the story, and said God wanted to gift this to somebody that needed it. And 
I think you're, you're the perfect family. And it was in that moment, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that God was who he said he was and that he was real more than anything else I'd ever experienced in my life. So we, I just, again, jumped all in in church and serving. Still didn't have a job, was laid off. And not long after that, a couple months, you know, small jobs here and there, the Joplin tornado happened. Oh, yeah. And the church we were at in Texas, it was kind of a weird thing on our staff. They either went to Ozark Christian College or they were from Joplin. Somehow, some way, we had huge connections to Joplin and to Ozark. So within five days of the tornado, I was on the first disaster relief trip up there. Um, and I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I've served several tours overseas, and I, I've seen combat, I've seen explosions, I've seen destruction that way. And I remember rolling in Joplin that first night, and we went through the neighborhood over by the hospital that was hit really hard. Yeah. And people said, man, it's like a bomb went off. And I said, no, a bomb isn't this bad. Like, the, the level of destruction is not this and so we served there for a week, and it was very moving. I had a lot of really great experiences. I wasn't able to go on a second trip because I had a job interview, and I was super excited. That didn't work out because God knows what he does you know, right. in his timing, even if we think it's the worst timing in the world. Uh, and I didn't get that job, and it turns out I was able to make the third trip up. And on our third trip is when God really grabbed me. And we were working on this this older gentleman's home, putting a new roof and, and, and things on it. But there were so many people working there that myself and Trevor and another guy kind of stood over by this older gentleman and just started talking to him. And so we had visited with him for a while, and Trevor said, let's go on a walk. There's nothing we can do here. We're just standing around, so we might as well go walk and talk. As we're walking through this neighborhood talking to people, and praying with them, and I, I, I remember having this conversation with Trevor, saying, man, this was such an amazing thing. Just, the volunteers were so brokenhearted, and just the somber feeling, but you're talking to these people who've lost everything, and they're smiling ear to ear, the joy in their hearts, I'm here. God got me through this, I've lost my house, it's just things. Right. The perspective difference, you know, and I, I told him, I said, this was such an, a huge thing, and he said, this this is the church. Right. What we do on Sunday mornings is amazing. We can touch lives. We can change the, we change the world by walking and talking. Absolutely. Get home from that trip, and I, I had felt this pull to, maybe God wanted to do a little more with me than what he was. But that job, that interview that I didn't get, that same company called me back and said, hey, we want to actually interview you for another position. And this was a government contract um, company. I would be going back to Afghanistan. And I was, um, everything went smoothly. I was getting ready to leave for another, uh, for a year. <clears throat> I'm sitting down in Panama City, Florida, in a hotel on the beach, being paid for by Uncle Sam. <laughs> getting paid, and for some reason, my security clearances, because I had a top secret security clearance for my time and my job in the service, and I kept getting these just goofy red flags for no reason whatsoever. It took us a day to clear up each one of them, and it was no big deal. But my departure date kept getting pushed further and further back. 
And so finally, I ended up just being the shuttle driver for the company. I was driving to pick people up from the airport, bringing them back to our hotel. They were going through their process, and they were shipping off while we were waiting for my stuff to clear out. I picked up one guy, and I don't remember. My iPod was plugged into the car. I don't remember what music was playing, but it was Christian music. <clears throat> and so we're talking as he's listening to the music, and so he said, was this really, really talking about Jesus? I said, yeah. And he said, man, I've never heard this kind of music before. I thought church music was just the piano and organ. And yeah. I said, no, there's a, I mean, that is church music, said, but there's just a breath of it. And it's the first time I got to share my story with someone else in a very real way where he could connect with my experiences right. and struggles and shortcomings and failures. And I remember sitting in my hotel room that night. I was eating Little Caesar's pizza, crying. Because I knew God was calling me into ministry, and I had no idea what that meant. It can um, be scary. I, I was, yeah. I've never been terrified like that in my life. I've yeah. jumped out of airplanes. I've been blown up and shot at. Never had a fear that deep before in my entire life. Well, Jonah, tell us more. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember calling my wife and telling her, I said, you know, I'm going to do something really stupid. Coming from me. And the history that she has with me, I could hear her stomach hit the floor. Like, oh no, what's he going to do now? I told her, I said, I don't, I don't want to do this for a living anymore. I, I want to go to college. She said, okay. I said, but I said, I think I want to be a preacher. She started crying. I'm like, oh, that was the wrong answer. <laughs> and you need to call Trevor and you need to call Rich. You call them right now. And she hung up on me. So I called Trevor and I told him, and he said, bro, we've been waiting for you to get out of the way. We have all seen this in you from the very beginning. You are just, you've been in the way for years. It's time to get out of the way and let God do what he's going to do. And so I turned my resignation in with the company. I left the American dream, six figures a year, tax-free, to go to Bible college. <laughs> And, what uh, kind of crazy are you anyway? I am. I, yeah. My dad had that conversation with me several times about Yeah, my dad did too. <laughs> and, you know, and it's one of those God things. Uh, I had to apply for my VA, you know, my post-9-11 GI Bill. And the you know, VA, the government, doesn't move quick for nobody. Yeah. And I was at the very cutoff for being able to apply for that next semester of school. And so I call and I get this wonderful woman out of, uh, I think she was out of Tennessee. And I was talking to her and I said, hey, I'm going to go to, a, you know, this is a private Christian college. I don't know if the GI Bill is going to prove that. And she kind of laughed and she said, well, actually, there's just been this change in the post-9-11 GI Bill where you, as long as they're an approved school, we're going to give you a little bit extra to help pay for that private college part. Wow. And by the way, we're going to pay you monthly to go to school full time she said it's not going to be a lot but maybe it'll help cover your basic bills so you don't have to get a job and go to school full time and what they paid me monthly paid our rent our electricity and our water for the entire time I was in school and what wasn't covered by the GI Bill our church had programs set up to where 95% of all of my uh, time at DCC was paid for Wow. So you went yeah. to Dallas Christian College. I did. I went to Dallas Christian College. Okay. And like I said, I can be stubborn 
I can be bullheaded, but I'm not dumb. <laughs> Every stone or door that was put in the way, um, either by the world or by myself, God removed. And when I mean removed, I mean just took it out of the picture where it was no longer a threat at all. And I, I love to say I've never been so happy to struggle for four years <laughs> um, going through school. What years were, would those have been? I started at DCC in 2012. And uh, I went full-time, full-time, no breaks, summer school, the whole nine yards. And I actually finished in three years. Wow. I had winter master classes, uh, full loads during the summer. Uh, I did one semester at 21 hours. The next semester, I did twelve. <laughs> oh my goodness! That was a brutal, a brutal time. So, the church, your home church, mm-hmm. where were they located? You, I don't think you ever mentioned that. It's Compass Christian Church in Colleyville, Texas. Okay, and that's outside of Dallas. Yes. So you were able to continue to attend your church. Yes. And go to school at Dallas. I attended the church. Um, stepped into volunteer roles, uh, leadership roles, to. Uh, kind of gain more experience as I was going through school and learning. I was very blessed to not only learn it, but to put it into application and really learn um, how to do ministry. That's a, a lot of our schools, that's what's missing, is we're getting the knowledge, the head knowledge is going in, but there's no practical experience. Right. And uh, not all of them. I, I, I will say that Mid-South College that we work with has a program where when people come in, they, they're put with a team. And they, they get practical experience through their four years or whatever they're spending there. At least most of them do anyway. But but that is something that is missing. Yes. And that's what I hear from preachers and have heard for years. Well, I, I, I know the Bible, but I didn't know what to expect when I got <laughs> when I, I didn't know about elders meetings. I didn't yes. about I didn't know about the the little lady who, you know, uh doesn't like that tie I wear. I didn't yes. uh, or that I don't wear a tie, you know. Oh yeah. So uh so anyway, you got your you got your three years in at Dallas and, and graduated. Uh, and I, I don't know if you ever said what branch of the service you were in. I was in the army. Okay, I I just wanted to ask that because I want to thank you for your service oh, because okay. I think we we need to do that and we appreciate yes. you very much. Yes, I uh, went to the army and decided I want to jump out of airplanes and all that fun, really bad decisions. So you've been kind of crazy all your life, haven't I you? Have been. I, I guess. <laughs> Rode bulls in high school, jumped out of airplanes, went into ministry. Just a, con- a steady delve into insanity. So when you got out of college, uh, did you have plans before you graduated, or were you just... I um, So as I was getting into my junior and senior year, which are kind of jammed together for me, um, I had this grandiose idea, this is exactly how it's going to line out, because I know this. I know God has this plan for me. Yeah. And so I interviewed with places, and they, I kept getting the, we'd love to, but no. We'd love to, but no. And so by the time I got to the end of my time at DCC, I wasn't 100% sure if ministry was where God was going to actually take me vocationally. Right. And so I have a really good friend that I grew up with. His dad owns a company, and so I went to work with them painting homes. And I loathe painting. I don't. I've even never met anybody that loved it. Even when I'm being paid to do it, <laughs> I hated it. And so I was painting homes um, around the Dallas Fort Worth area. When I uh, I made a phone call to a, a 
former professor and, and friend of mine. He's a minister in Craig, Colorado now. And I'd finally got that really expensive piece of paper to hang on a wall. And said, hey, if you know anybody that's looking, I can finally show them that I'm, I at least passed Bible college. Right. <laughs> and he laughed and said, well, let me think about it and I'll call you back. Well, he called me a couple of days later. And said he had just had a meeting with a gentleman from a small town in Wyoming that's looking for a, a minister to come on board that has a lot of life experience before ministry. Because Rock Springs, the area in Wyoming, can be kind of a rough place. Most of the jobs up there were in the mines or some kind of chemical plant or the oil field. So a lot of rough blue-collar guys. Sure. And um, he said, I know you've got experience in the oil field. And I worked out in the oil field for almost, I don't know, six and a half years um, you know, doing the drilling portion and rig moving. And so I had that experience with that crowd of people. And so he said, hey, I'd love to put you in contact with them. And said, yeah, of course, of course. You know, it's my first real opportunity for ministry after Bible college. And so we meet with this church, um, did the whole, you know, video interview thing. And they brought us up in February of that year, 2015. And we interviewed their person left they offered us the position but we didn't want to move until the kids were through with school so it wouldn't have been until may well in april of that year my wife was diagnosed with uh, a rare thyroid cancer medullary thyroid cancer mm. in 2a so it's, it's a rare thyroid cancer and she has one of the rare versions of it oh and we found out two weeks three weeks at the most before we were going to be moving to the other side of the united states away from all of our family we had no family whatsoever. The closest family we had was Oklahoma. And, of course, my natural response is, look, there's no way. We're not moving to Wyoming. Um, God will open up another another thing closer to home where we can be, uh, have the family support in this battle with cancer. And, and so we went down to MD Anderson in Houston. We're talking with the specialist down there. And my wife had mentioned, well, my husband has a job interview in Wyoming. But we're, we're worried because there's no specialists up there because at, at the time there were only three specialists in this cancer in the United States. MD Anderson had two of them, and one of them was at the University of Colorado in Aurora, Colorado, the hospital there. Outside of Denver. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So she said, well, that's only six hours from Wyoming, you know, from where you're going to be at in Wyoming. I was still, we're not moving. We're not moving. You know, I'm putting my foot down, which my was wife never listens to when I do that because 99% of the time I'm wrong <laughs> and she knows that and so she in her loving way said well you can either go with us or we'll go without you My God goodness. is calling us to Wyoming wow and you know we've been together long enough and I know when she's like when she under, like when has that understanding that can only come from a very real place. Like she understood that this is where God was calling us to. I said, well, i got to pray before I can get there. And so I was praying, and I was feeling that leading, and I was talking to mentors, and all of my mentors, you know, I asked them to pray along with me for that specific thing. And every single one of them was like, dude, man, I don't know what to tell you, bro, but God's calling you to Wyoming. I'm like, man, you guys are no help whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> so we did. 
we picked up that May and we moved to Rock Springs, Wyoming, left all of our family behind, stepped out in faith, and we served uh, almost six years there in Rock Springs. A real tough field. It was. Uh, people moved to Wyoming to be left alone. <laughs> yeah. It's the least populated state in the United States. And so um, no matter how connected you can be with other churches in Wyoming, and there's not a lot of them, you're siloed by yourself. Because the nearest church that we worked with and that I was close with was in uh, Casper, which was three hours one way. So when you had a lunch meeting with uh, a fellow uh, preacher, it was a three-hour drive to go have lunch. Right. To pray with each other, and then a three-hour drive home. <clears throat> and in the wintertime, you just didn't go nowhere because it was really dangerous, and you were guaranteed going to get stuck somewhere, and it was just costly. <laughs> right. And the church there wasn't the, you know, beautiful people loved Jesus in their own way. God has a very real calling on my heart for the unreached and those who don't know Jesus. And I love to push people who do know Christ out of their comfort zones to reach those who don't. <clears throat> and we we tried a lot there in Wyoming. And um, towards the last little bit, God was making it kind of clear to both myself and, and the eldership there that the directions we were going were different. We weren't confrontational. We weren't friction. Uh, with each other, it was just that's kind of good to hear. I was going to do my ministry, and I did. I worked with several other churches there in the community. We set up community talks where we were meeting with different groups from the community. We were working to get this interfaith board together to get the churches to work. And I was doing a lot of that as a representative for the church there in Rock Springs, uh, but I was on my own. I, I had the support of the church without them doing anything to help. Right. And out of the blue, I get a phone call from another former professor and friend of mine saying, you know what, Mike, I think God's calling you back to the promised land. And uh, if you're listening and you know a gentleman by the name of Ted Smith, then you will understand that you need to ask, I need some question, you know, some clarification <laughs> there, Ted. Because he is just kind of one of those guys that's going to call you out of the blue and talk about something off the wall that God's put on his heart and it never fails, it always plies. <clears throat> and so I said, all right, Ted, what in the world are you talking about? And he said, well, I got a phone call from one of my other former students who used to be on staff at this church in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. And they're looking for a new minister. And he said, for some reason when he called me, I immediately thought of you. So, you need to call them. I said, well, I'm, I'm not really looking for a job. And I wasn't. I mean, I, I understood where we were in ministry at that point in, in Rock Springs. And the writing was on the wall that God was going to be moving us. When and where and what that looked like, we had no idea. I'd never even begin to thought about it. And his kind of response was, I don't care. You need to reach out. Um, I trust Ted. Uh, with well, pretty much anything, he's one of the guys I call when when I need help figuring something out. Ted's a, a, one of my go-tos, so I did. So I reached out to this church in Canton, Oklahoma, which I'm born in Oklahoma City. I have a lot of family here in Oklahoma still, and I would, I called my family that live here, 
said, hey, do you guys know anything about Canton, Oklahoma? No, where's that? Yeah. Said, well, you live there, isn't... I have no idea where that's at. And so I had to Google it and look it up. And I'm like, man, this is... This is a place where the cattle legitimately outnumber people 20 to 1. Yeah, you can't see the end of the, of the world from here. I mean, it's not the end of the world, but you can see it from here. That's what yes. I want to say. Yeah. It's, it's just a dot that yeah. if you blink maybe twice, you're, you're not going to see it. Yeah. I think there's no way. I mean, I don't know about this, but God's done crazier things. So I did. I reached out to um, the church here in Canton and said, I heard that you guys were looking for a new minister. A friend of mine told me about you, and I'd love to just chat with you. So I met with the, um, I got kind of emails back and forth between the search committee kind of liaison for a while, and they finally sent me another email back from a different person. I didn't recognize the name, so I just trashed it as spam mail. Uh. I didn't hear anything for two or three months. And thought, well, they hired somebody. That's fantastic. I've been praying for the church. I'm glad they found somebody. I'm just going to keep my head down, and I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing here. And so I got a phone call from the original lady saying, hey, you know, we never heard back from you. Are you still interested? I'm like, oh, I, I never got a response back from our last email. She said, yeah, it came from this email. I said, I don't know. I said, well, maybe by chance. And then my spam or something like that. I'll check and I'll call you back. And so I did check and I had to call her back and swallow my pride and <laughs> say, well, Debbie, uh, I got that email, but I didn't recognize the name, so I just trashed it. I, 100% my fault. Uh, you know, I, I don't have anything else to say, but sorry. She said, well, would you like to meet with us? I said, I'd love to. You know, the persistence of, of them, it was right. kind of encouraging. Sure, when would you like to meet? She said, well, what are you doing this evening? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I'm not doing a whole lot. So we set the interview up, and like I said, I wasn't really looking for a job, so I kind of wanted to, you know, it's a little bit of my personality. I kind of wanted to push right off the bat. So um, at the time in Wyoming, during the wintertime, I'd grow my beard out. It was my face sweater is what I called it. <laughs> yeah. to keep my face from freezing. <clears throat> so I had my beard all grown out. I wore a polo shirt and had my tattoos hanging out, and I sat with my arms crossed because this is just a comfortable thing for me, but I wanted to make sure that they saw them as well. Right. I don't hide them. Um, they're part of my, my story and my past, and so they, they're there, and well, right. it's just too expensive to remove all of them. Painful, too, I heard. I've heard that, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I don't like pain, and I don't want to spend that much money, so they're there. Right. And I remember within five minutes of talking with the search committee... I was just sold for something about the people that I was talking to that just, I was so encouraged. And uh, they said, well, we're going to, of course, we're going to meet and talk, and then we'll let our elders know, and if we want to go any further, we'll let you know. And I, and I remember that feeling that I hadn't felt in a really long time, the nervousness of, man, this could be something awesome. If, if it's what God wants, then, of course, it'll happen. You know, But then... There's that other side of you that really, really wants it to happen. Right. I'm going to trust in God, but man, God, this is... <laughs> this looks know, good. This is, I'm telling you, if you're not seeing this... Yeah, take a look over here. <laughs> and so I got the email, hey, our elders would love to meet you. So kind of the same thing. I made sure that, you know, it was obvious who I was. And the beautiful part about not needing a job 
was I, I was able to answer without padding anything. Right. And I was able to ask really difficult questions back. And when response, uh, you know, talking about worship and how kind of the contemporary hymnals, what do you do? Well, you know, we're a traditional church, but we know that we need to grow. Right. And they were, I said, well, what's that look like? And the response was, why? We don't really know. But we know it's in our future, and we're willing to step out in faith and, and work towards that. And so I got, again, that just, it seemed like I, I jived really well with every one of the elders. You know, these are all farm guys with their pearl snap shirts. And, right. And, you know, here I am with big burly beard and tattoos, and I'm like, this is, we don't fit in the same picture if you would just put us together, you wouldn't see. But these are the type. Of, these are the type of men that I think you'll agree, Michael. That if you walked in like you did at the Compass Church, uh, you wouldn't be able to prove that these guys are a bunch of hypocrites, and I'm not coming back. They're the type of guys who would catch you at the door and engage you in a conversation. Yes, they absolutely are. I've seen them do it here. Um, being here, you know, I've been here at Camp Christian Church for about a year and a half, and I legitimately fall more in love with this church every single day. I, you know, I've I've brought people in, family members and friends, and you know, I have a friend of mine I went to school with. Um, his name's Glennie. You know, he, he's a black guy married to a white girl, and they have you know mixed race kids, and a big concern and fear for their uh, for them when they came out, because he wanted to support me, right. was, man, are we really going to be welcomed? It's nothing against, but it's just small town. His yeah. experiences that I know he's gone through um, in his life have really kind of given him that fear, and he doesn't want to his daughters to ever have to see that. Right. And I remember him saying that he felt more welcome at this church than they did their own home church. And I know the ladies here in the church and the, and the men have asked, When's your when's your big friend gonna come back? His girls were so beautiful. The people here are some of the most welcoming I have ever seen or met, and they're genuinely that way all the time. It's not just Sunday morning. <laughs> you know, Sunday, I think it was Sunday evening. One of the elders came to me and said, "Is tomorrow night good for you?" And uh, I said, uh, "Yeah, yeah." He said, "Well, you're always here early anyway, Tom." And uh, we want to have our, our elders pray with you and Beth. And they have done this. This is our fifth revival, and they've always done this. And um, though other churches from time to time will bring us up at the end of the service and have a, a prayer. not It's rare, but they do. Uh, this congregation, the elders here, always have. And we came in to where you and I are sitting right now and uh, before services on Monday evening, and they closed the collapsible uh, walls here. And uh, one of them just made the statement, this is about Tom and Beth and Rock Solid Ministries. And that's what they, uh, they did have a, an elder that couldn't make it who was dealing with, with some, some difficult times at home, uh, medical with his family. And so they, they added him and wanted to make sure we prayed for him. But uh, it meant a great deal to us. It, it really does. And I watched them last night uh, make sure that a fellow who hadn't been around for a while, uh, make sure that they... And I didn't know he hadn't been around for a while, but I learned that later, that he didn't get out the door. And there was three or four of them around talking with him and, and uh, sharing with him. And so uh, they, they don't leave that to you, to the preacher. That's not the preacher's job. 
right. we're all Christians and we're trying to we're, we're trying to reach out to anybody who walks through our doors for the sake of Christ yes they uh, they definitely are especially small town um, they don't let you get by at the coffee shop if they haven't seen you at church they'll <laughs> grab you and say hey where you been oh I've yep. been busy well we'd love to see you yeah and it's not just a okay well let me check that box I saw someone I hadn't been there in a while so I told them I'd love to see them they really do care when you come back like talk about that gentleman walked in last night and they just gleaming with joy to see yeah. him back and wanted to say man I'm glad you're nobody asked him where you've been nobody said why haven't you been coming right it was just I'm so glad to see you back you know and I think that's one of the benefits if I can say this, a revival it's another event it's another thing where the doors are open and uh, maybe people who haven't been in a while say, well, I'll go check this out. You know, I'll, I'll go for this because it's not Sunday morning. I'm not coming back on Sunday morning. I'm just coming for this. And it opens the door and they say, okay, the roof's still on. I'll, you know, maybe I'll come back tomorrow night and revival. And, and so that's one of the good things I think about any type of event you do that's side door evangelism. It brings people in the right. side door. Uh, uh, this one, revival is more of a front door evangelism thing, but still... Uh, I think it does give people another opportunity to say, hey, the doors are open. Come on, mm-hmm. be a part of it. And, you know, we always hear excuses. Well, I've been busy. I or I was going to come last week and this and that. I have a friend. I've ne- I don't think I've ever told this story, Michael, at, in a podcast. But I have a friend who says, uh, who started telling people, just tell me you don't have any peanut butter. And they just look at him shocked. And they said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you give me one excuse after another. One excuse is as good as another. So from now on, when I say, why aren't you worshiping with me? Just say, I'm out of peanut butter. That's, that works as well as anything else. You don't have to make up something else. Just say, I'm out of peanut butter. <laughs> that was pretty good. I love that. Yeah, that's a good one. I use that a lot. Well, you've been here a year and a half. And what you haven't said a whole lot. You've talked about your wife a little bit. Tell us about your family and how many children you have and, and about your sweet wife. She had us over for beans and ham hocks last night. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Being Southerners, you know, Beth and I were just, really? We get to come and have that? And cornbread? Oh, it was great. So so uh, tell our listeners about your wife, about your sweet yeah, wife. Yeah, uh, my wife. Tony, and how is she doing? She is she's doing well. Um, the particular cancer she has is, it, it, like, uh, it's untreatable. There's, it does not respond to chemo or radiation or anything like that. So the, there is nothing more frustrating, infuriating, and all the other kind of adjectives I can think of to hear from a doctor when they say, we just have to wait and let it get worse. Um, So the treatment for her cancer is when the tumors get to a certain size, we go and have surgery to remove it. That's it. Is that an ongoing thing where where we just have to go in every time it gets to a certain size? Okay. She goes every six months, we travel back to Aurora to go see her doctor. And they monitor the tumors and the size of them and things like that. And so once it gets to a certain point, she'll have another surgery. It's inevitable. Uh, the cancer markers are still there, and they're increasing. And she's had these surgeries? She's had two surgeries for, um, you know, she had a, they went in the first time and just removed her thyroid. Then to go back in the second time, get a, did a complete central neck dissection. So they took everything not necessary for normal life like and removed it they actually moved one of her lymph nodes to her arm um, the good lord was providing there <laughs> um, we still had insurance on her from texas uh, and 
they covered that because they considered that an organ transplant, which oh. was a lot, yeah. a lot of zeros in that that bill. <laughs> um, but her spirit is unflinched uh, by it. She's taken it in stride. She deals with it a lot better than I do. Yeah. Um, as her husband, to see her, you know, there are days there are bad days where yeah. it's not a lot of energy. Her body is constantly hurting. Mm. The level of medicine that they have her on, the side effects are, are attack her bones. So calcium deficiency, fingernails break and crack really easily. Her, her teeth will crack and break really easily. And she just hurts. And there is absolutely nothing I can do. And so I struggle with that. But watching her take it and through social media like Facebook and other things where there's these medullary thyroid cancer pages... She has taken this terrible thing and she's flipped it into a ministry opportunity. Oh. She shares her faith and prays with people all over the United States and, and into Canada. There's a couple of them who are dealing with this. And she stepped into that wholehearted. So this is my plight. It is what it is. This is my thorn. Right. And it's not going to stop me from worshiping God. It's not going to stop me from, from loving on people and sharing my experiences and my struggles if it will help someone else, it's 100% worth it. Well, this, I never would have known the effects it's having on her. And you know I wouldn't because I've only been here a few days. But I, I see her coming uh, through the church full speed. She's got a big box of food and, and, and always taking care of food. And, and she, we, we got here, Beth and I walked in the door by your office today, and, and she's working with food for the Thanksgiving and to, to make sure people have what they need. But she came through through yesterday or Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was after after our meal. She had that big box. And I said, you need some help? She said, no, I got it. Biggest smile on her face. I got it. And shoop, she was gone like a streak of lightning. So, yeah, uh, amazing lady, amazing lady. And I see the way she uh, moves around among the people in the church, talking with them and ministering to them and before the services and yes. after the services. And you know, uh, most spirit. places we have the five-minute countdown to let you know uh, church is about to start. I, I laugh and joke. It's not the countdown for everybody else. It's a countdown for my wife so she understands in five minutes I need you to stop talking. <laughs> yeah. Everybody else and come back to the back so we can get started. Yeah. <laughs> um, like I said earlier, we've been married 19 years, been together for almost 21. We have a 20-year-old daughter, a 15-year-old daughter, and a 12-year-old daughter. <laughs> Somewhere along the way, God thought it would be a great idea to give me all girls uh, <laughs> and to teach me patience and all the things that come along with daughters. And we each one of them have such a different personality. Um, it's amazing to watch as they are growing and coming into their own. And I absolutely love each one of them dearly. Um, we were a foster family in Wyoming, and, and throughout that process, we ended up taking legal guardianship of a, of a little boy that we had. Picked him up from the NICU at like 9, 10, 11 days old. And we had him till almost his third birthday. And um, the courts in Wyoming decided it was time for him to go back to his family in Wyoming. So um, at one point we had the three girls and our son. We figured out pretty quickly why God gave us three girls. Because if we'd have had, our, our, if we'd have had a boy first, we'd have, we'd have had one kid. <laughs> we'd have had one kid because... That little dude was a million miles an hour and fearless and um, you know probably one of the bigger heartaches in our family is the you know losing Zayden sure but in that 
you know, trying to share the idea that I, you know, you, you got to trust in God's plan. It doesn't ever say you got to like it. Right. It doesn't say you have to agree with it. I hate the fact he took my son away. Um, I think it was a terrible decision. But I knew it was going to be for a reason. And we have some friends here in town who had guardianship of a little girl. And the, uh, um, the, the, the group, so she was a little Native American girl that was in the foster care system. And so the tribe came in unannounced and took her back. Just stole her away from the family. And in that moment that we found out, Jamie and I found out about the exact same time, we both kind of looked at each other and and understood exactly why we had been going through what we had been going through. Because now we were going to be able to step in to their brokenness and say, hey, I know exactly yeah. what you're going through right now. And the, the other couple have a very deep faith. And so we were able to sit down and pray and talk with them through that and still don't like God's plan. And when it comes to that, so that's, you know, the hurt is still there. But it was one of those moments where, you know, asking God, why would you, why would you do this? Watching my kids suffer and cry and miss their little brother. And, you know, I still get emotional now and dealing with it. And, uh, God, why? But to be able to sit there and put a hand on somebody's shoulder and say, hey, <laughs> I know your pain. I'm here to help. I'm here to walk. Three o'clock in the morning, you want to talk, you call me. Not everybody can do that. And and to understand that is is a is a wonderful spiritual gift to understand that that through our pain we can some, to say to somebody not like well I know how you feel and we really don't right. we can say I know how you feel and they know we really do that we've been through that and that's a, a gift uh, I have a, a, a young couple friend that went through a terrible tragedy this year and uh, in this year of 2021. Uh, because I don't know how many how many years from now people will be listening to this, but uh, one of the amazing things was just like while they were still going through it, while it was still fresh, they were saying, "We realize that God is going to use us to help others." Yes. And and that's the thing about the Christian life. If you're not a Christian, uh, what do you do with it? You're you're yeah. empty. It's lost. And 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 where are you? But but if you're a Christian, you understand that. God's plan isn't always what our plan would be, and and uh, uh, He can use, if we'll allow Him, He can use anything. And who who knows that God's plan wasn't to put to put your lives into that little boy for three years, mm-hmm. so that that's in those years that He's going to remember. Though He may not remember, He remembers. He's going to remember much of that, and will that not change His life someday? and change his entire biological family's life because of what you put into him. And we just, of course, we can't see that now. Yeah. And, and, but we go into things, a lot of times we have great plans, and uh, God puts us there, and his plans are different, and he pulls out, and we think, well, this was a disaster, this was a failure, and it wasn't. God accomplished exactly what he wanted to accomplish. Yes. And we need to give him the glory Absolutely. because, as we've talked again about this week, that our uh, the whole purpose of man is to give glory to God, yes. and that's what we need to do. Well, uh, you've been in in, in uh, what's the word? I, I, I hate to use the word uh, this word. You you've been paid ministry <laughs> for uh, 
a vocational ministry. That's the word I was looking for. And I never have liked that word. But you've been in vocational ministry for how many years does that make now, trying to add everything up? Vocational ministry coming into mm-hmm. almost nine years. Almost nine years. Uh, in that time, uh, not not near as much experience as some guys that, that I've interviewed that have been preaching for 75 years, you know, yeah. <laughs> or in their 90s or whatever. But still... Is there anything, any very difficult time uh, that it, you just, uh, well, I think you may have already described it, times where you thought, uh, I don't know if, if this is, uh, am I supposed to be in ministry? Uh, is this, uh, or just a difficult time where you said, I didn't see this coming, uh, that you might want to share about it. You may not want to share about it. So. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's, it was a learning experience. Uh, for me, I said there towards the end in Wyoming, trying to do uh, ministry on my own. Towards the end, I knew, like I said, I knew God was going to be moving us somewhere. And in all honesty, I was, oh, I had gotten to the point where vocational ministry was not going to be my thing. I learned a lot. I needed that so that I could go into a, a more a tent-making kind of ministry. And I was going to go back out into just the regular workforce and that was going to be my ministry field. And, you know, moving my family and struggling through those things. And the hardest part was trying to get on the same level with my wife on that. Because I was ready to just, you know, God used this time to teach me, to grow me, to make me into the person I am so that I can step out and to help wherever God wanted to put me. And her, her her side of it was, that's not what God wants. We're, you are going to be a, a minister. That's what he wants you to do. God's going Good to open her. it up. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of friction. Like I said, you know, there wasn't friction or hard feelings between myself uh, and the leadership there by any means. I still talk to them on a kind of a regular basis, check in on the church, they check in on us. We still have really good rapport with them. But there's a lot of hurt, especially for me, when I didn't have the support of the elders in stepping up and doing certain things, and I felt right. kind of not stabbed in the back by any means by them, but just... Lack of support. Yeah. And You're out there on your own. And like I said, in Wyoming, you're siloed to begin with. And right. On my own in that, that situation, there's a lot of hurt that I carried around. And, and so I had, didn't deal with it in a healthy way, and I just bottled it up, and it began to eat at me. Mm. And um, my wife being the, the faithful, uh, just rock. And she is. Um, I have no shame in, you know, at all in saying that me and my wife is my absolute rock. She is, she is about as immovable as you can get. When it comes to um, her calling and, and our calling in life, and uh, she was there, and mm-hmm. you know it was it was a painful place and it was very difficult, but in the struggle, you know I can that hindsight's twenty twenty. Right. <laughs> in the struggles and in in those moments of you know prayer and and just God, I don't understand. I need direction. Uh, I can look back and see where he was going. Okay, we'll just do this, do this, and do this. And on the other side of those struggles, uh, 
again, I can look back and see exactly why God was doing what he was doing. He was preparing you for what's ahead. Absolutely. And I look back, Beth and I have said this so many times through the years, and I want to say this to young ministers or men who are in middle age just getting ministry, that there are times that you may feel like, oh, this is, this, I'm getting out of this. And when you feel like that, stay in there. Yes. Stay in there. Uh, maybe you don't need to, maybe you're in a, an abusive situation with leadership in a church and it does happen. I mean, it, let's just be honest, yes. it does. Uh, because there are hypocrites in church. I mean, you know, not most of them, no, but there are some. Uh, get out of your abusive situation, but stay in ministry because God is training you for what he has planned for the future. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and it may be your ministry may be tent making. Uh, and it may be your ministry may be out in the secular world ministering, but give God time to yes. give you that direction. Don't don't rush ahead of Him. God is never glorified when we run ahead of Him. Yes. <clears throat> well, I tell you what, our time is just about up. Uh, I've really enjoyed talking to you. It's, it's a wonderful story, Michael, and, and I think we're going to be friends. You know. Yes. Until Lord comes back, and several days thereafter. Yes. <laughs> so. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to share before we close up today? Um, you know, something I talked to you about last night. If you're if you're listening to this, and you know, you're, this you know, revival has this stigma in the world. Right. And when I first got here, and I heard about this church does revivals every two years, I had that, that kind of oh, revival. I had no idea what to think about it. And uh, I, and like I said last night, and I meant it from the very bottom of my heart, I have absolutely adored every moment uh, of this uh, ministry that you have. And Thank your you. heart for um, what revival is, reviving the church, and getting lighting that fire back in, in God's people. Because it's, it's absolutely obvious our world is in desperate need of Jesus. Right. And um, it is our job, it's our responsibility, it's our burden and blessing to be the the ones that bring that to the people. And the church has become complacent in the last 20 or 30 years in doing so, and this the act of reviving the church is um, probably the most important thing right now in, in the American church, and we need that desperately. We do. So if you're listening to this and you haven't made that decision on whether or not to try to get on board and see what it is about, um, I encourage you to to dig deep into Rock Solid Ministries and what Tom and his team are doing because um, it is invaluable. Well, thank you. And that was unsolicited, I want to say to our... Yes, 100% not asked for. But we do appreciate it. When people say revivals are dead, I say, no, the church is dead. We need revivals. absolutely. And either the way we do it or maybe some other way, but look into it no matter what that might look like for you. Well... Uh, To our listeners, if this has uh, been a benefit to you and encouraged you, I pray that you'll share this podcast with your friends and co-workers in Christ. And until next time, this is Evangelist Tom Weaver saying goodbye, and may God pour down his blessings on you like a Mississippi rain.